I V M. The marketing space is one of the most ever-evolving practices in our world today. It's a space where the need to constantly learn, upgrade, and get hands-on with the execution is paramount. So while educational institutions have for the longest time drilled in the basics, many marketers are seeing the need to build skill boosters for both fresh graduates as well as seasoned professionals who are in you know who are in need to upskill in the midst of their careers. One such marketer who's built a very interesting company, Craftshala, around this space is Varun Sethia. And I thought it would be interesting to get him on the show to discuss how he's building this out as well as how he's seeing this focus on upskilling, scaling up further in the market today as well as going ahead. That's what's ahead in this episode of Advertising is Dead. I'm Varun Dugirala, the co-founder and co-chief at The Glitch. Be right back with Advertising is Dead. Welcome back to Advertising is Dead uh, with Varun. Hi, Varun. Hi. Hi, Varun. How are you? Yeah, this is this is going to be that interesting part in the entire uh, podcast where I'm going to keep referring to you as Varun and you. I think people at some point will start getting confused uh, as to which Varun is speaking. But talking about you, I thought we'll start off uh, before we get to um, Kravshala and, and, and what you do. I thought I'll just kind of start off by, because I found your journey very interesting in terms of uh, how you came about setting up Kravshala. So I, th- I thought that'd be a great place to start. How did you kind of start off in the space and how did you kind of end up setting up Craftshala? Uh, yeah, fair enough. So uh, right off the blocks, I I should tell you that I'm very uncomfortable calling you Varun. So I'm I'm going to try and avoid it. Uh, you know, there have been four Varuns in my class consistently over many <laughs> years. And uh, uh, it's just one of those things where we used to sort of refer to each other by their surnames, which was usually easier. But uh, more to the uh, to the question uh, that you'd asked. Uh, so I, I had a very conventional path uh, into marketing, uh, which starts with engineering. So I, I went to an engineering college, then figured very quickly that that wasn't my gig, uh, went to an MBA, uh, figured very quickly that marketing is what I'm interested in. Uh, and so uh, I joined a marketing firm immediately after business school. So I worked for uh, this company called Nestle, which makes uh, amongst other things, uh, chocolates and uh, milk powder and noodles. So my first full-time role in marketing was on Maggie Sauces, which I worked on for about 18 months. Uh, then I switched over to Maggie Noodles, uh, where I spent another couple of years. And then, uh, you know, having spent about four years in, in a corporate job, I quit to start a company. It was Technically, my first uh, entrepreneurial stint, but practically, uh, I guess I had known for a long time that that I'm going to do this at some point in my uh, career. Uh, there were some entrepreneurial ambitions uh, even during undergrad, and so by the time I started this thing, I was, you know, there was a reasonable measure of confidence having worked on fairly large brands in marketing, having spent a lot of time just sort of building up. Uh, towards what I was going to do. Uh, I spent six months in the final part of my time at Nestle thinking about what I want to do. And so I was, I was quite confident of what I was building. I, uh, you know, I had all the knowledge in the world when it came to building product innovations that did exist at that point, uh, having been in Nestle. And all that confidence uh, lasted for exactly uh, 24 hours. And, uh, uh, you know, the first day I woke up, uh, uh, I was shit scared. And, and, and that's when it started to sort of 
hit me of, of how much I'd sort of bitten on to this time. Uh, my first venture was in education. It wasn't craft shala. It lasted all of 10 months before I shut down that product and that company. And then I, I guess I was, what's the right word for it? Unemployed, I think should cover it uh, for, a, uh, you know, for some time after that. I think that one of the things I realized, there were many failures that, or there were many learnings that came out of that first failed venture. But I think one of the bigger ones was the fact that what I learned about myself was that I found it easier to be uh, disciplined and driven when uh, when I felt more passionate about a about a topic. When I felt more passionate about a project, the first venture that I that I picked up was in the education space, but it wasn't something that I felt very deeply about. It was in that mm. competitive exam space, which is when all the big businesses have really come about, and you know, like. It, it, I decided on that space largely because it was the biggest space and because, you know, I had an interesting idea around that, but I felt no passion for it. When I did consumer work, I, I used to meet these 16 year old kids. Uh, and instead of talking about my product, I felt like counseling them that, look, you don't have to worry too much about this. This is not going to matter in the end. There are many paths to success and so on and so forth. Uh, but I was constrained by what I was selling. So in that sense, you know, the first time that product failed, I was ready to give up. Uh, I think I gave up long before the product actually failed in my head. Uh, mm. And that's the reverse of what I guess it takes in entrepreneurship to succeed. So my big learning, I think uh, one of the big learnings was definitely that I want to pursue projects which were of interest. The harder problem was to find out what was of interest uh, and then marry it. Yeah. yeah, that's always tricky and, and marry it to something that actually has potential as well. So I thought, you know, the last time I started with a really good plan, this time, let me not start with a plan. Let me just do things that are coming up that are interesting to me. And one of the things that was interesting was the concept of, of craft shala. Uh, and that really sort of, uh, you know, that really sort of came about because I thought that most of what I learned in sales and marketing had happened uh, when I was working. And so I thought that if I can sort of uh, make real world marketing and sales interesting to an audience which is still in the academic side of their life then uh, yeah, I would present a true picture to them uh, because I think that it's a fantastic field to get into and be like they would pick up stuff in the class they would pick up stuff which would be pre-doing their job which would be amazing so we started Kafshala as this boot camp uh, which was about six weeks long delivered online and initially opened to only a few business school campuses so uh, it, you know, we initially opened it up to the the bigger IMs and ISB and yeah. FMS and SPGen and all of that, and 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 just to sort of you know test out if the idea had any merit or any potential, and and since then we've sort of expanded it to uh, larger audiences, working professionals, and 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 soon uh, people who are going to be graduating uh, from from undergrad uh, as well. What I found interesting about your model, right? And and and, and I've had a I would say I, I've, I've had this focus on looking at how education has been evolving because I generally find that of interest because like you said, um, I went through engineering as well. I didn't, didn't like it at all. Uh, went through the, the, the usual rounds and I always felt that while you learn a lot of things in, in college, a lot of it doesn't necessarily apply in terms of skill sets. Right? You learn the theory of many things, um, but in terms of actual skill sets and especially something like marketing where the whole space is kind of evolving on a day-to-day basis now, not necessarily even like a year-to-year basis. But when you kind of started off, what did you see as the, the kind of gaps that you immediately had to were able to kind of bring in to fill? Yeah, so it's it's a great question. I think the first piece was about making marketing interesting 
and making sales interesting to people. I think that the concept uh, to to young people who are, let's say, in their early to mid twenties, who have not yet started working, seems a little abstract uh, and a little removed from from reality. And so, I think the first piece was just getting people working on problems that were exciting by design. And so, one of the things that we really sort of deployed was picking up things uh, around people that people were fundamentally interested in and putting a marketing lens to it. So mm-hmm. for instance, a couple of months ago, we uh, we did this session and, and, and then we wrote a piece uh, as well on the Kravshala website, which was around the Delhi elections. Actually, we did it a few months ago now mm-hmm. that I remember, which was simply about looking at the uh, you know the elections, not from a political lens, but just simply from a marketing lens in terms of what were the two main political parties who were involved in that election trying to do from a communication and a messaging sense. Uh, And that obviously, you know, like is interesting to anyone who's interested in politics and is sort of, uh, is going to sort of spend some time, you know, thinking about why, what happened did happen. Uh, And similarly, we did a piece on Bollywood, uh, essentially, where we wanted to explain the concept of brand essence, but, you know, mm. instead of, you know, le- picking up a brand of detergent, we thought, why don't we look at the essence of the three biggest film stars in Bollywood or who have been around for the last 30 plus years mm. and try and map out why their returns have turned out the way they have turned out, which I think uh, the brand essence has, has a lot to sort of explain on, right? So in that sense, the first thing was about making things interesting about whether people were interested in cricket and in Bollywood and politics and in sport, you know, in stories, we would just do that. I think the other piece was about understanding that people are not going to learn marketing or sales by listening to it. We can use sessions to inspire, to put people in the right direction to open up their minds, but Mm -hmm. to really learn the craft, they had to do it themselves. Uh, Mm -hmm. And to accelerate their learning, they had to do it under the guidance of uh, practitioners who were very experienced, who could, you know, interpret their learnings in a a way such that you pick up things very quickly and you really Mm -hmm. understand the context of what you've learned. Uh, And that's also by the way that we came up with the name Craft Shala. It, It was meant to demonstrate that craft can only be built if you're doing stuff under the guidance of uh, practitioners. Mm. Uh, And that's something which has always, uh, you know, been central to whatever we have built. So would you then say the system that we kind of follow is more iterative in that sense, in terms of, because it has to be, right? I mean, especially also because you've segmented it into, into, uh, I would say two broad categories of students, if you have, if you call them, if if you, if you, call them students, Um, people who've just like, let's say, uh, finishing off B-school, or people who've already been working for a while, and I'm guessing that you do. Would you say iterative is the is the way you do it? Yeah, I think iteration is a big part of what uh, you know what we do. I think that learning from practitioners directly is a big part of what we do. Like, I don't think we've ever built a module ever where the person involved in building the module has not had substantial experience in sort of doing what they do. Like, for instance, you know, if you were to build something on media planning, then you want to work with people who have run media campaigns, which is basically putting money on different platforms uh, in different contexts. So there are people who've run 
50 crore campaigns and the people who've run 50,000 rupee campaigns and the context is completely different. So, so in that sense, you want to make sure that you get the practitioner's perspectives in. And then I think that depending on the context of the background of the students, then we figure out what has to go in. And, and, and our segmentation is at three levels. So there are those who at the very base level, there are those who have no idea about marketing, who haven't worked in marketing, but might be interested in it. So someone who might have, might still be an undergrad or has graduated maybe a couple of years ago. So that's one audience. The other audience is those who are in business school. And so therefore within business school, sales and marketing is, is typically anywhere between 25 to 40 to 50% of the audience. And so, so, so that's an audience which is slightly more understanding of the terms. They're also getting exposed to theory of sales mm-hmm. and marketing. And then there is the piece of working professionals and those who've been working in, in these functions uh, for a few years and, and, and want to upskill and build upon uh, their, Thing. So the the segmentation I think is is and and the kind of programs we build are are very different for all three of these audiences. What I also notice is the fact that you obviously have a lot of large scale companies who kind of are kind of working with you, right? I mean, I, I've seen names of everybody from uh, Nestle to Americo, PNG, Unilever, etc., who are um, businesses that you work with. When you talk to them to kind of fine tune what the courses that you, uh, or rather what you train people on uh, have to be about, what have you learned in terms of what does modern marketing kind of demand of their marketers, right? I mean, that's really, uh, I mean, I would say that at some point, the the base on which you're building uh, the entire piece on is the fact that this is the modern ask and people need to be able to learn all these aspects. So what would you say those points have? Yeah, so I think that Primarily, the work that we do is with marketers early in their journey. So people who are just about to start marketing or have started marketing recently. And the first port of action is to build out the strategic aspect of marketing. So for instance, let's say that you were to ask the question, you know, you're working on a, on a product or a brand and you realize that your market share is falling. Now, the amateur answer to that is to suggest that, oh, why don't we try Instagram stories because that's been doing really well. Yeah. You know, TikTok has been growing really well. Why don't we look at new platforms? Why don't we look at this creative format? And, and you know, and, and, so, you, and so it's very solution forward thinking. Mm. And a large part of our job is to make sure that people develop a very structured way of solving problems. And so what that would mean essentially is, all right, so your market share is going down. That can fundamentally mean that there are three possibilities. A, you are you know, your, your growth is decelerating, even as the category is doing okay, or is, is increasing, or the fact is that both you and the category are growing, but the category is just sort of growing at a faster pace, which category would mean your competitors, essentially, mm-hmm. or the fact is that both you and your competitors are uh, actually degrowing, and you're just sort of degrowing at a faster rate. Now, when you br- start to break down this into this, and then you further break down into the problems, uh, you, you know, and, and, and you realize that, oh, actually, you know, what is happening at the end of the day is that perhaps we are growing, our competitors are growing faster. And the reason they're growing faster is because they have a product stream or they have a distribution angle that that we haven't explored at all. And that is what, or perhaps our portfolio itself is not strong enough. Once you're able to sort of identify where the exact gap is, then you start to build out the solutions there. And in that sense, I think that if you, 
you know, in at least in, in what I have seen, I think that framing the right problem is maybe 70% of the, of the challenge. The 30% is relatively easy because, you know, you'll get it right the first time or you'll get it right the second time. You'll get it right the third time it'll happen because you know for a fact that this is where you're going wrong. Whereas if you don't know where you're going wrong, then you keep sort of trying different things and you don't yourself have the confidence to keep pursuing something. So in that sense, I think the one of the starting spaces is around just uh, the identification of where the opportunity for growth lies in is, is a big part of it. Then when it comes to large companies, uh, large FMCG companies or large uh, consumer goods uh, companies, they have a history of incredible marketing capability in-house. But what happens is that there is a space to identify more digital tools for them that people can use across the marketing funnel, across the consumer engagement funnel. Uh, And so one of the beliefs that we have internally within Craftshala is that while marketing is evolving fairly quickly, like everything else, there are a lot of principles which sort of don't change, but your capabilities are evolving very rapidly because of the tools and because of the data that is available. And because you your tools are changing, therefore, if you understand that change, then you understand what more you can do today that you weren't able to do a few years ago. And so in that sense, just staying up to date with the tools is, is another aspect of it because it just expands your capabilities uh, in a in a substantial way. That must be a big ask on your end as well because I, I think that anybody who's in marketing now realizes that the tools you're using today keep getting updated and then the newer opportunities across platforms come so often. And I guess at some point it's about, bal- uh, you must also look at balancing that, right? Because no one can, can kind of span across everything because that will create a lot of confusion, but kind of just evolve the, the marketing mindset in that sense rather than individual pieces. Will that be a fair uh, point to make? Uh, I think that in reality, there are many paths to success. Uh, and so what we've seen is that different brands in the same category can follow completely different approaches and, and achieve a fair amount of success. And so it's very context dependent in which case, you know, the tools that necessarily people are using, tools your competitors are using either in your or others don't necessarily need to be copied. But fundamental understanding of data still should be there. So for instance, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter whether you're using Google Analytics uh, or Adobe Analytics, you know, like I mean, to, at the end of the day, you should be able to know what you're looking at uh, and make intelligent conclusions from it and then obviously you know if one tool has a slightly higher capability the other one will have it in a few months as well and so in that sense it's really about the the craft is in 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 making intelligent conclusions from it conclusions which are let's say data uh, back uh, uh, not just by one source but by multiple sources so you can triangulate that information and just a level of intellectual humility to say look this is what we think it is 80 percent where we should be right but 20% 20% there still might be other uh, hypothesis there, which takes you back to that first hypothesis setting scenario where you were trying to determine what could potentially be all the things that are happening there and then which are the most likely. So in that sense, you know, I think it's the, the, the comfort that marketers, I think, and they, I think they get it over a period of time is when they start to understand that many ways to, to, to get to the same result. You don't have to necessarily follow someone else's path. What I think would be interesting to also know is that from the time when you were working in marketing um, at Nestle to now, 
how have you seen how you look at marketing kind of changed right because uh, on one end obviously there there was i wouldn't say that you were a lot more hands on then but now obviously you need to be a lot more hands on in a very different sense um, to kind of understand how it's expanding what do you feel that you've learned from time you moved to this side of 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 the whole spectrum i think uh, uh, nestle was great to understand the concepts or in marketing but i really sort of but the concept really landed when i sort of went out so uh, uh, you know uh, one of the projects that i was working on uh, when i was in that phase of you know uh, shut down first venture craft shala has not yet taken off is i was working on a dating app and as and so we just launched uh, this version and we wanted to get some initial users so we were doing an event and i had a pamphlet with me that i was distributing in uh, cyber uh, cyber hub in gurgaon and hmm. uh, you know as i was distributing pamphlets uh, i could you know i was iterating in terms of how do i get people to look at the pamphlet uh, right and so just you know that that aspect of making sure that i can build eye contact that i can build credibility before they can even even pay attention to my pamphlet i think it really landed how much trust matters before any you know any conversation can happen similarly you know there are some people who would not take a pamphlet from a random person yeah. at all no matter what no matter who's distributing it you know that bit could be distributing it uh, and it will not matter because it's at the end of the day a pamphlet and it's it's an interruption so in that sense just selling to to the convertible sort of really landed uh, when when i was doing these things i think that one of the challenges that happen in marketing is that the learning at least on big brands i think the learning happens far too slowly you know we would launch a 50 crore campaign or a 10 crore campaign and sales would go up but did the sales go up because we got the campaign right or did the sales go up because everyone knows maggie they saw an ad on tv and they were you know they would just sort of remember that yeah, i am stocked up on maggie and so in that sense it's not an easy question to answer of of whether you've really sort of hit the nail on the head or whether you're just you know getting it because of the media money that you've presented so in that sense running a 10000 or a 1000 rupee campaign on facebook was far more instructive because you could run ab tests and you could sort mm-hmm. of really see what was working and why it was working so in that sense i think i picked up a lot of the concepts in my time there and i think that they've held me in good stead because when in doubt you can always go back to them but they really land once the once you fail once you get good feedback and that's always i think the challenge for marketers how do you get good feedback when you're working on large brands is not an easy question and that's also why you know i mean and and this by the way throws up an interesting way so for example if you look at compensation of early brand managers let's yeah. say a one year brand manager it is the same as the compensation for a uh, for a brand manager who spent uh, zero uh, years and 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 the the reason is yes you've picked up something but you haven't really picked up anything to uh, to, to sort of uh, speak about you're still being hired on potential whereas you know you take another area like sales or in another area like uh, coding you know a one year sales person is is far more valuable than someone who's not done sales because they've really gotten feedback immediately on what is working what is not working so that's always i think the challenge for people who are working on on large brands that how do they accelerate the process how do they get that feedback and and i think if you go around this entire piece also considering the way the whole education space itself is getting disrupted right now right i mean if you look at how learning is happening i would say even from 
a school level um, and I have a daughter who was supposed to start nursery sometime in August and, I, and I'm just seeing that disruption start from day one in that sense to anybody who's who, and then obviously kind of scaling up as it goes along while what you would be doing initially would have involved a, a, a mixed format of things has had to change your outlook in terms of how education itself is going to function in terms of how you you go about your process and, and where do you kind of see that going? I think uh, education in India is following global trends. I think the innovation in the K-12 space is probably the least because of the way our laws are structured. Whereas, you know, if you look at the K-12 innovations happening across the world, there's just some fantastic experiments being done. uh, And some of them are, you know, are, are hopefully going to lead to results. But, but I think that we're just in India, we're just at the start of that cycle uh, in in innovation in the K-12 and K-12 is basically class one, uh, class uh, yeah. first to 12. Whereas when we look at higher education, I think the Indian innovation uh, that is happening here is, is not very far off. I think we're building a lot of um, interesting solutions here uh, that have the potential to sort of not just be applicable here in India, but across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from from Tavshala's own journey, I can I can tell you that over the last few years are a lot of things that have evolved. Uh, so I think the 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 fact that you have to create a solution which is practitioner driven, the fact that you need real practitioners involved in higher education, I think that has always been there. But just this aspect of the social aspect of learning uh, for adults, I think that has really uh, sort of evolved a lot. I think that it used to be the case that you could say that, you know, uh, an online course, an online program is not going to be as immersive as a, as a physical program. And I think while the gap is there, I think that gap is, is shortening very, very rapidly. And it has shortened substantially since, since COVID as well, uh, because you're just being forced to sort of build more uh, platforms for people to interact with each other. You know, I mean, I'll just give you uh, one example here. When we started our programs, it used to be a huge believers in one-to-one interactions that, that, you know, people should be given feedback on their specific work. And while that's really important, I think that it's even more important uh, to use the group level to motivate people uh, to do better. I think it works really well in working professionals in particular, where your motivation stems from your fundamental belief that you want to come across as someone who's, who's, who's smart, who's driven, who's professional. And in that sense, just that group aspect, that motivation to do better, the, the challenge that you get from, from people who are from different backgrounds is very, very important. So, so now we just think in terms of groups, like groups of three, this is what's uh, applicable. Groups of 15, this is what's applicable. Group of 50, this is what is applicable. So in that sense, that understanding of how you can encourage people to sort of uh, really learn as a group and not so much as a you know, as an individual, I think that has gone up uh, substantially. I think the other thing that's evolved is uh, for us, at least is the feedback loop. So just the, you know, um, I think there's a lot of data that you get on candidates and the candidates also get on themselves. And so the way a candidate uses that is very helpful. So a good example in, let's say, a different space, in a competitive exam space is when we used to prepare for physics, right? We would say that, okay, uh, I'm weak in physics, I'm strong in physics and I need to go up, right? But today the way students prepare is 
look, I'm I'm good in graf- gravitational theory, but I'm not so good in wave motion. So mm-hmm. what is happening is that I'm spending too much time worrying about the wave motion in the paper and I'm losing marks on the others. And the reason I know that is because I have data on this. So I spent... Uh, you know, a disproportionate time trying to solve a question on wave motion when I could have easily scored, right? And so when you get that specific data, then obviously that, that uh, you know, your learning is much faster. Uh, mm. Now, you can also expand it at an aggregate level. And this is what we do. So what we see is, look, we've taught our, our, our candidates 16 topics. And out of these 16 topics, there are three that everyone has really aced. But then there are these other five that most of them have struggled with, which then feeds back into our project charters, our uh, our content, our um, sessions. And, and, and so that really sort of triggers the improvement uh, process. So uh, I think that you can't get in the offline setup. And so in that sense, I think online programs, I think on some aspects are, going, are already much better than offline programs. And on the social aspect, I think uh, are progressively uh, progressively getting better. Also, then gives you that scale. Also, scalability not in the sense from just from a business side. Right? It also gives you the ability to reach so many more people who might not be able to kind of travel to a certain spot to do it and kind of make it available across the board as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, uh, that's the that's always been the promise of online education that it uplifts people who would previously not have gotten access uh, to it. Uh, and at Kravshala, I think that's always been the motivating thing for us. Like we started in, you know, in the premier B schools and uh, yeah. Ishu and I who started it, you know, we used to sometimes wonder, look, are we just uplift, uplifting the uplifted here? What mm-hmm. are we really doing about it? But we had to stay disciplined because I think that as a business, you have to take a call to start someplace. And so you start in the places where you have come from, where at least you know the market a little better. But as an online education player, I think it just gives you enormous, uh, enormous capabilities to 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 uh, to inspire someone who you didn't think would be, uh, you know, would be there. We we recently got someone on Kravshala Live, which is our the public sessions, who mm-hmm. was, you know, who was essentially a, a school principal and said that look, I've been doing this for the last, uh, I've been in teaching for the last twenty years, and now yeah. I'm a principal. And now I'm thinking, you know, this is not the career for me. So now I'm inspired to start working on marketing. I mean, it's a 42 year old person. You didn't think that they would not fall under any of our segments, any yeah. of our uh, super consumer deep dives. But that's the that's the real impact of it. A large part of the audience that listens to this, right, are people who are, let's say, in college or would have just started their careers. They would pretty much be, um, I would say my target audience would pretty much be the people who would reach out to you guys. What are the first set of things you kind of run them by in the, in, the sense that, in the sense that to be a marketer in today's world, just kind of set mindset when they start off, uh, what, what would those things be? Because um, there are, they, their questions many times are pretty simple, um, and, and they, but maybe sounding simple to us, but to them, they're like trying to figure out how they can stay relevant, how they can grow, etc., and how they can kick off their careers. And especially at a time like this, what would those points be? Yeah, so, uh, you know, if I were to frame the question slightly differently, I think that 
uh, one variation of this is look if the tools are changing so quickly what do we really build upon like how do we build skills that are going to be relevant in five years you know Correct. last week tiktok was available today it's not so like what happens should we have been preparing for it should we not have been preparing for it i think that uh, you know jeff bezos uh, had this very interesting letter to uh, had written a very interesting letter to shareholders almost two decades ago mm. uh, and he said that look technology is going to keep changing but what we're going to do is we're going to build amazon on the core principles that don't change over the period of time so what i cannot predict is which technology will be powering our distribution system but what what i can predict is that customers would always want the cheapest prices the highest variety and the fastest delivery and so whatever it takes for me to get to that that's what amazon is going to pursue i think a career when you think about a career and you're starting out you want to build skills which are which are going to give you those kind of optionalities and are not going to go out of fashion so when it comes to a marketing function uh, you know what what kind of skill sets do you want to build in what is not going to go out of fashion for instance is this hot of just you know articulating the problem or the opportunity really well so just that ability to break down problems is going to be hugely useful today and 10 years from now uh, similarly the ability Uh, to empathize with the users uh, and and to just sort of see people for who they are and not put in your own uh, view on them i think that just that pure user centricity and empathy i think that is going to be hugely useful i think the ability to write and design are hugely useful and you don't need to do both i i mean yeah. you know but at least one of them i think you know just to give a contrast 10 years ago we would we could run an ad on ipl and that would reach a large percentage of our audience but today what happens is an ipl and i i would include let's say the the tv soaps and mm. you know, like you could get reach with very few creatives today the number of creatives that you need to build are just so high you know you have to build even on large brand 100000s tens of thousands is what some people say so in that sense if you are not fundamentally good at writing or at design one of those maybe both then it, then it becomes difficult for you to really sort of churn out good work and uh, and that sort of uh, uh, gets in the way so in that sense you know i don't think enough people talk about writing as a as a way to get good at marketing i think that mm. if you can write copy it's it's, it's amazing how much uh how much how far you can go forward with it mm. uh and so what i would do is i would build the skills that you as as if i'm in their position i would build a skill that i broadly like amongst these uh but then i would really sort of go deep into it so i wouldn't worry about am i writing for medium or, or am i writing for twitter or am i writing for linkedin i just you know do whatever is interesting to me whatever comes naturally for me and do it in a in a in a deep way as as you get towards the end of every episode right i i start this segment of which is called humans of advertising um it's 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 uh, like i say every week it's it's never rapid uh, and uh, that is the whole point is to be opposite of a rapid fire so if for people that uh, who know you uh, well as well um, what would that one thing be that you are a consumer of or which you obsess over uh, which they would be surprised to know that you actually do obsess or consume that piece what would that be so that people don't know that i'm obsessed yeah, about yeah yeah for someone who's like met you professionally or around or like really this, this is something which you you like doing or this is something which you like consuming uh, that kind of a thing i think as a vice i would say that uh, uh, that i'm a little bit of a sucker for consumer 
tech products like uh, <laughs> aren't we all <laughs> <laughs> like i i don't demonstrate it you won't really sort of see it very easily or should really pay close attention to it i know you know i'd be particularly proud of the gadgets that i own and i spend far too much than i need to so yeah i think that would that would, that would probably be uh, the case uh, what can you put together in an instant i think inspiration <laughs> I, I think I haven't learned any real world skills. If you put me in a forest, I'd probably die sooner than most people. <laughs> But if I can just have a few people who who are who are needing a purpose, I think I might be might be able to survive. Perfect. Um, what is your uh, point of consumption? Are you uh, is it shows? Is it books? Is it podcasts? Uh, any recommendations that you would have amongst any of these? um so so i'm i'm a sucker for stories in general and mm. and i think i you know like visual stories i think trump in general text based stories or so less of books these days mm. uh, i think that i enjoy conversations of fair bit so if if someone hasn't gone through the you, you know so most movies are built uh, today around the classic uh, avengers kind of lots of action and so on and so yeah, forth yeah. but i think that you can build a lot of interesting stories just around conversations as well so if anyone hasn't discovered the before series uh, oh, before yeah. sunrise before sunset and before midnight i think series, yeah yeah i think that would be interesting and uh, to kind of wrap this up uh, why do you think advertising will not die or other addressing and marketing why will they not die i think that uh, advertising and marketing is just going to become more relevant i think that what is happening the way i look at the world is there is going to be great demand for people who build products and people who sell products uh, and a lot of the in between tasks are going to get automated so you know you we needed a lot of lawyers up until 5 years ago but we don't need as many today but we're still producing a lot that's a different aspect and we didn't need as many admin people but we still need as many sales and marketing folks broadly speaking because we'll continue to build new things and we'll continue to have a need for selling those things so if you can if you can do either of those things really well in a given domain that you're going to be in super demand through and through Well, thank you so much for doing this, Varun. Uh, see, you not had to call me by name throughout this whole thing, so we didn't have to go through that except for that one time. And uh, I think that's a good way to kind of end this. And thank you so much for coming on advertising instead. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it immensely. Thank you. Thank you.